1. Acts 21, verses 17 through 26. This morning is our text. Acts 21, 17. Luke writing this in the first person. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand, to respond, whatever you want, Lord, with us as we interact with your text. In Jesus' name, amen. I think, and I've been thinking about Acts, and I've been thinking about this passage all week, thinking about the American church and how different we are uh, 2,000 years on from that early church. And I do believe it is a struggle for us sometimes to get back into that world to see and to feel exactly what was going on uh, with that early church. Because we've got so many branched out versions of, of everything. We've, we've uh, unfolded and unfolded, and, and you're getting a, a, a taste of the beginning of that in our Sunday school class. Uh, but the church history that's there is different than what was going on at that time. Uh, most of us grew up in a culture that was heavily influenced by Christianity. Not all of us. Not all of us, but most of us grew up in a quasi-Christian culture. Not saying it was a Christian nation in that every single person was a Christian and, and wanted to glorify God with all their lives. I'm not saying that. But a lot of us, many of us grew up, and Christianity was, was somewhat okay. committing our lives to God through Christ didn't 
cost a lot. We were told how much it cost and how much it would cost, and some of us still didn't want to stick our necks out even in a very safe culture and live for God. But boy, I remember sixth grade. I first started, you know, listening to the radio. You listen to the radio, rock and roll, you know, pop music. And uh, along with, uh, we had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun, which made my mom cry just about every time. (laughs) Um, Along with songs like that, there was one uh, that they played, and I I researched her. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Uh, Sister Jean from Australia, she was the first Australian before... Olivia Newton-John and the Bee Gees, the first Australian to sell a a million records in the United States. She got beat out for a Grammy that year by Elvis, uh, How Great Thou Art. But I remember that on the radio, along with uh, The Night Chicago Died, which I always thought was about the Chicago Fire, and turned out it was really about Al Capone and and those things. But those songs in that era, uh, you could have a a chart topper that was the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' words and people singing along with it on their radio. Think about that. We grew up in that kind of a kind of a Christian-y type of a, of a culture, a lot of us. Not anymore. But back then, uh, it was there. And it's hard for us, perhaps, then to shift gears and to say, what was the church like back then? For one, remember, there was no New Testament. There was a Bible. There was God's word pointing to Jesus, but there was no New Testament then. There were no denominations yet. Uh, there were no, there had been a big council where they'd come together to make a decision about um, uh, um, what to do, and, and the church was shaping, uh, taking shape. But it's a different time, and you need to, Uh, it will be helpful to you. I'll say it this way. It'll be helpful for all of us if we can kind of put ourselves back into that mindset. We can understand a little bit of Paul's dilemma, of the joy they felt, if we can step back in time to that. These days were not Christian days. They were not post-Christian days or any such thing. Christianity was new it was misunderstood if it was recognized at all. Uh, some people saw it just as a subset of Judaism. Other people saw it as just this weird thing that, uh, that weird people did, but not consequential. We ourselves are aware of several cycles of the rise and fall of Christianity. They hadn't seen those cycles of the rise and fall of Christianity yet. Uh, we've got 2,000 years of of history to look back. We've seen denominations wax and wane. The history of the PCA and the Southern Presbyterian Church, which joined with the Northern and all that. This is just standard stuff that we examine and ask people about a history of Presbyterianism. We've seen denominations rise and fall. Some have seen firsthand other denominations rise and fall, and you're hurting from it. We've seen local churches wax and wane. Think of the history of the church that dwelt in this building. I know, I know about this building. When the Baptist church, Candlewood Baptist, uh, sold us this building, and, and you hear the stories. I've had people come in and say, can I just walk around? I got saved in this church. This is where I came to know the Lord. 
Uh, the pastor from Southbury says, oh, Candlewood Baptist, they planted our church. Uh, people from, from uh, when we walked around with the elders from, from Anna's church, uh, the, the Chinese elders, uh, a couple of them, one of them got married here, others got baptized here. Uh, this has a great history. It's got a sad history, too, and some of you are aware of some of the sad history part of it. And the things that go and come and rise and fall, we've seen that. We've seen it in our own lives. We see our own selves uh, when we're strong spiritually. We go, man, I feel so close to God. We would never say this with our lips, but we thought it with our hearts. I don't feel like I'll ever sin again. How could I? I'm so close to God right now. And then we've seen our own self saying, am I even a Christian? How could I have just done that? And we see the rising and the falling. And that's what was happening with these new Christians. This church coming up with Paul and his entourage called to the Gentile people and all these nations. And then you see uh, uh, Christianity coming into the, the already religious but not Christian Jewish population. And they are looking at something new and they're scratching their heads and they're thinking about what Jesus said, uh, words about I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. They're thinking of him saying, go into all the world and make disciples and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And they're wondering what's going to happen with our faith. And they weren't building a business looking for a market share. Their lives had been absolutely altered with us in our, in our culture, and I, maybe I should speak for myself and say, may, I'll, I'll say in my culture growing up, and maybe you, and, and, and I would bet some of you, uh, you could become a Christian in some cases, in some parts of our country, even helped you at a certain time in our nation's history. And, and they would ask questions, you know, the question, where, where do you work? Where do you go to church? Was a question. Not anymore, not up here at least, and not... Anywhere that I know of, where do you go to church is not a thing. Uh, uh, even, do you dare even ask, do you go to church? Is that some kind of uh, discrimination or some kind of uh, thing that, that, that's anti-woke these days? Is that something? But back then, it was all new. And here they are. I wrote in my notes as I was thinking through this, we're at a disadvantage in some ways because of where we are. We get cynical. Uh, there's, a, there's times where I've, I've seen a brand new believer, maybe from another country, where they didn't know any of the Bible stories or anything. And on the one hand, I'm so thankful, and I wouldn't change a single thing, not a thing about who my parents are and how they tried to raise me, with the Bible stories that we just believed, the Bible and pictures for little eyes, and our little eyes popped wide open at seeing some of those pictures. Nowadays, they've whitewashed that, and they've, they've uh, not used the old classic paintings. They've, they just kind of almost water it down. It used to be kind of a PG-13 thing for little kids. You, you saw the ground opening up and, and, and swallowing uh, those guys, and you saw uh, fire, and you saw uh, John the Baptist's head on a platter. <laughs> uh, you saw those things. Um, I grew up with that. Some people didn't, and I've said to them, I'm so jealous of you. You get to hear these Bible stories for the first time. I want to try to hear them for the first time myself. And we're approaching a text this morning that's an important text for us. But I think it would help us even more if we looked at it the way that they looked at it and would have 
lived it then. I get bored with the gospel more than I care to admit. And it wouldn't surprise me if that is some of your story as well. And when the coming persecution arrives, I believe it's going to be brand new and real and vital to us again. We comfortable American Christians will be like those brothers and sisters who've converted to Christianity in places like communist China or Muslim-centric Afghanistan who do not have to work as hard to enter the story as we do. But let's work hard at it. Let's enter the story. Let's see what God has for us in this text. Three things this morning. One, joy at the spread of the gospel. Two, a threat, but not the threat to the spread of the gospel. And three, the lengths to which one would go for the spread of the gospel. First of all, the joy at the spread of the gospel. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. They received them gladly, Uh, not reluctantly, not suspiciously, gladly, as if they were joint heirs with Jesus and as if those conversions out there and those brothers and sisters added to the faith and Philippi and Ephesus and Galatia uh, had happened on their own home turf under their quote-unquote ministry. Boy, they were glad to hear it. <laughs> like sometimes I, you know, I love to go to Presbyterian here if God's doing great things, but if, if, I, if I feel a little dull and a little, it's maybe, <laughs> that's great, that's great. Yeah, that's great. All right, brother, that's great. Why isn't it happening in Danbury? Why isn't, you know, and, and we, we think a little... Uh, selfishly and a little wrongly, sinfully, let's just say it, sinfully. Um, Here it doesn't say any of that. They were glad to receive them. You're a Christian? God's doing these things? Let's celebrate that gladly. Verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Time was gladly given. There was anticipation Let's hear the story. We saw you. We got a lot of talking to do. Let's get some sleep tonight. Let's meet up tomorrow. And let's just hear about God's great work. This is James, the brother of Jesus, not James, the brother of John, the disciple. This is old camel knees. Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, the one they talked about. He, they called him camel knees because he prayed all the time. James, the just, I believe he was called in places. James and all the elders met. They didn't say, well, in the interest of time, let's just let the two of us meet so we don't waste man hours because these guys got to get out there and work. They said, no, let's all get together. This is the important work of God's church is to hear what God's doing to celebrate God's work with each other. They were present. Paul gave them time. Paul also gave them money. It tells about that later on when he's recounting. Uh, Paul had collected the, the, the Jerusalem church, the old uh, the old-timers, the, the, the ones that had the religion where it sprung from, those Jewish people in, in, were hurting financially. And you read throughout Paul's letters how he collected money. He was very, very wanting to collect a gift from these Christians to these Christians. Uh, uh, a, a primary job that our deacons are going to do. 
uh, part of why we're going to start taking that second offering on the fifth Sundays of the month uh, to be able to, to for God's uh, opening people's hearts to give as they want to help brothers in need. Uh, Paul saw that as vital for the church, that connection between the church. So Paul gave them time. Paul also gave them the gift that he'd collected from the others. Then in verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He said it's story time. When we were in the prison in Philippi, and we were singing hymns, and the earthquake happened, and we didn't leave, and the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And they all said, wow, he said that? Wow, he got saved. Oh, those people were baptized. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, there was a riot. Great is uh, Artemis, and, 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 and God revived you, and, and boy, you, really, you were left for dead. Did, you, did your body float? He told them all the stories, all the salvation stories, all the things God had done, the deliverances, the good things, and they sat there and listened because they were processing. How does our God work? How does God do things? We read the Bible. And, and while we said a couple of weeks ago, these stories are not prescriptive, they are descriptive. They describe how God works. And we put them with the texts in, in the other uh, passages, the, the, the ones that do prescribe, do this and do that. And we see how they mesh up. And we say, wow, we're learning how God works. Maybe if God worked that way among the Gentiles, he'll work this way in Jerusalem. And we from our vantage point 2,000 years later in Danbury, say, maybe if God worked that way back then, and maybe if God, one thing he says about himself is he never changes, he's the same. Maybe, maybe there's something in here, and maybe that's the same God working the same way. And maybe there's something in this Bible for us as a church. Wow. And he told them one by one, he was filling in their knowledge of God the way God encourages in times of doubt, the vast array of people that God saves, the establishment of churches, those things, and they were loving it and soaking it in. First part of verse 20, and when they heard it, they glorified God. God was glorified by them. Didn't have to be on their watch in their city wasn't about themselves. It was about God and what God did. They were glad for the increase of people. And similarly, boy, what if, don't you hope, wouldn't it be wonderful if, uh, if, if whether it's Christian Community Church or Danbury Chinese Alliance Church comes to us and they go, hey, we need two services. We've got so many people coming and they're getting saved uh, and our elders, we come, we watch, we go, wow, this is wonderful. You know, it would be joyful. It would be wonderful. God's doing the work. It doesn't have to be our congregation. We get to celebrate that. We see people coming to the Lord. That's what we want. We want God to work, and we'd love it if God would let us see him at work. That would help encourage our hearts. God was glorified by them. Then the last part of 
verse 20. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who've also believed. And they're all zealous for the law. They said, we got some stories to tell you, Paul. When you left, it was just a dwindling little thing, and they were beating us up, and it was a, a rough time and all that. But now thousands have come from this side of things. And so we, we say the religious, the people that had grown up with the Bible, that had had their ways, and, and they were um, one God. They weren't multitude of gods. They were one God, uh, but, and they were the scriptures. But they were looking at the scriptures in the right way, in the biblical way, and they saw Jesus in those scriptures. And they said, you see, thousands here have believed. People, religious people, need, need to get saved. <laughs> the uh, quote-unquote Christian nation needs to become Christians. Right? And they said, you see this? And they're zealous for the law. They love the word. Boy, they're into the Bibles that, that they've grown up with. They're zealous for the law. So it's all good. So far. Then it takes a turn, a little turn. Paul might have been nervous about what was coming. Remember, it was the non Christian yet zealous for the law uh, Judaizers that had stirred up riots wherever the gospel had gone. They'd followed him around. That's what we've looked at the last couple of months in, in Acts. And so he's like, okay, they are zealous for the law, their conversions. What's next? Is there another shoe? And there was another half shoe to to be dropped here. It did. And so we see our second point, a threat, but not the threat to the spread of the gospel. So verse 21, the first part of that verse. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. What? Is that true? All of a sudden we see Satan up to his old tricks. Remember, we've said over and over again, what does God do? God unifies people. God brings people together. What is Satan's plan? Divide and conquer. Hey, that's a good war strategy if you're at war. If you've got a mass of people and you can divide them, get them fighting for themselves. We see it in American politics, whether it's Republicans or Democrats. Oh, they love seeing... Uh, the other side fight with each other. Pass the popcorn, they say in their websites. They both say it. And they love to see it. Let, let's, if we just have to step back a little and fight each other and, and all that, then, then, our, then we'll, we'll ascend in power. Um, all of a sudden, you see a little bit of a rift between the religious converts and the irreligious converts. The ones that had their scriptures and had Paul, meaning they had the Pentateuch, the first five books, but they had the Old Testament and the ones who were coming to it uh, almost cleanly and seeing that they came right to seeing Jesus in the Old Testament where the others still had uh, the residue of, of, of the works salvation built into them and they had the scriptures to prove it. And they said, God's saving so many people here. But they look at you, Paul, and they're hearing that out there you're telling people that those traditions don't matter. Is this true? Did Paul teach the Gentiles to forsake Moses? I don't think so. I don't think so. Paul used the scriptures. He used Moses. He used the Bible uh, as his authority. He wasn't making something up. Don't you remember? 
uh, that right around the time we got to the Bereans, and I, you know, that, that sermon that day, but, but there were people there, whether they were the ones that had come over or whether they were the actual Bereans, but they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. Paul said, here's what the scripture says, and those folks took a look at the scriptures. Paul was not teaching them to forsake Moses. Paul appealed to it. Paul appealed to the Old Testament. Uh, You look at documents of all the times in Paul's letters that he quoted the Old Testament. It's phenomenal. And then you take all the times where you see these allusions to it. It's like Paul, it was who he was. He could not stop referring to that. He was a scholar, remember? He was an Old Testament scholar. He didn't say forsake the Old Testament. They were lying. People lie. People are motivated by the prince of lies. Sometimes they even sound spiritual when they lie. And that's the hardest kind of lie because it sounds so godly. People do things that sound so godly and are so satanic at the same time. Dr. Davis down in seminary. I've I've told a couple of you guys have heard this because, you know, but... New, new people, so, you know, it's just, uh, if you've heard this before, and I forget a part, help me out. <laughs> I was in class one time, and a student was all worried because his pastor, his dearly beloved pastor back home, the, the church was going to split, and they had a bunch of people getting ready to run that pastor out. And Dr. Davis, and he shared that with the class, he was just, he was a distraught student. And Dr. Davis says, well, tell me about uh, the meeting. Tell me about what happened. He says, well, they prayed. And Dr. Davis said, stop right there. They always pray. They always pray. Uh, You know, we can lie and we can do wicked things and we can paper it over with prayer. We can paper it over with scriptures. uh, And that's what was happening here. Sounded so spiritual. Paul's making you deny your scriptures when we know Paul was doing the opposite. Paul was using the scriptures to open up their hearts to see their need of Jesus Christ, who the scriptures are about. Last half of verse 21, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Is this true? He was baptizing. He was talking about baptism as the fulfillment of uh, the New Testament version of the Old Testament circumcision. But look at this in Acts chapter 16. Uh, this, is, this is scripture I'm reading here. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Paul, on a missionary trip, took a Jewish person who had not been circumcised and had him circumcised. Paul wasn't saying, uh, deny Moses. Paul was just saying, your religious rites and rituals and even circumcision will not save your soul. He didn't make a big deal about circumcision or the the rituals. As long as you didn't say, I'm going to do this church thing and that will save me and make me right with God, he wanted you to do the church thing. Listen to this. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 19. And this is Paul writing to to those folks there, this, this little church that had planted there. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him 
and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. He said, all these things don't matter. And he led them into keeping the commandments of God, which led them into the only one who kept the commandments of God perfectly. And we kept the commandments of God in Christ because we couldn't do it ourselves. Paul walked them away from religious ritual and he wasn't doing what they had said. (laughs) What was the threat? What was the threat? The threat was this, that the unity for which God saved us would not happen. God saved his people, first of all, for unity with him. He broke down the wall of separation between us and him. God saved us to be one with Christ. And as part of that, he saved us to be one with each other, our fellow Christians, one family, one body of which Christ is the head and we are the members. That was the threat, that the people of God would be divided here along racial lines. Jews separated from Gentiles. Jewish Christians separated from Gentile Christians. Jews and Gentiles, races separated again. That's a threat. People who spread racism are not doing the work of God, but are doing the work of the devil. They are doing the work of the devil. The devil divides. Christ unites. They may be doing it in the guise of doing good. They may be doing it with all of their religious fervor, whipping people up into a racist frenzy against each other. It's still the work of the devil. The church eliminates racial barriers. And in this case, it was a barrier that was being erected with self-righteousness. There was an appeal there. There was an appeal that these Jewish Christians had because they'd been lied to. You know, we've all been lied to. You've been taken in. You go, man, what do we say? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. But we've been fooled again and again and again and again. So shame on me, shame on me, shame on me, or however that that phrase works. Um, They were taken in. There was an appeal to nationalism. It's almost like they were loving their Christianity but loving their Jewishness at the same time. And yet, loving their Jewishness was not a sin, as we will see. I've never seen that condemned in the Bible. And here's what I wrote. Didn't know who was going to be here today all, but just thinking of our congregation. (laughs) I'm not German, but I love your German heritage. I love it. I love hearing you talk about your German heritage. We sang glorious things of thee are spoken. I believe that's the national song of, 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 of Germany. Good. Nothing wrong with being German. Nothing wrong with being glad to be German. I'm not Ecuadorian, but I love your Ecuadorian heritage. I'm not from Taiwan, but I love you, and I love Taiwan. I would love to go there. I'd love to hear about it. Not from Brazil. Not from the Philippines. I'm not from the DR. I'm not from the places where we are from or from where our people are from. I wore my Norwegian tie for Grandma Sorensen. I think I'll ask for 
a Danish tie for Grandpa Hutch and an English tie for Grandpa and, or Grandpa Swanson and Grandpa Hutch. And, and, and I, I think I'm proud of those things. Is it a sin? No, it's not a sin. It's only a sin if I say that's more important than the Christianity that God gave me. And if I don't love you for what you are. I, I was out, I think for three bucks, I found a uh, t-shirt. It said Irish Yankee on it. It was like a St. Patrick's Day. It's Irish Yankees. I had a green T-shirt, it had a little shamrock on it, and the New York Yankees symbol. And I got so many compliments from people on that. I really did. It was just a $3 good, Goodwill shirt. And I didn't want to tell them I'm not Irish. And I'm not even a Yankees fan, but some of my good friends are Yankees fans. <laughs> and some of my good friends are Irish. Um, nothing wrong with a little good-natured loving who God made you to be on this earth. And in heaven, I don't know how it's going to work, but in heaven, doesn't it say people from every tribe and tongue and and nation will be worshiping around the throne? So it seems to me from that, perhaps uh, even who we are now uh, is kind of who we're going to be then. We're not going to be just thrown through some blender somewhere and, 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 and it'll come out as little cookie cutters. I think who we are, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with them saying, here's our traditions, here's our things we do. Now, I did some, it's like, take, throw a dart at a dartboard. All these commentators talk about what this rite was going, what this ritual and the shaved head. And I bet if I dug really deep, I could give you a better what that all was. But you still have to choose which scholar all I know is there was something going on there that was religious, it was spiritual, and if it had been any way compromising the gospel, Paul wouldn't have done it. Paul did it. Back up just a second. Our enemy can use something good like healthy pride in who God made you to drive a wedge and hurt the gospel. Next point, the people needed to hear Paul. They needed to regard the Gentiles in the way God did as their blood-bought brothers and sisters who would live together forever in eternity. And then we see the lengths for which love goes to spread the gospel. They propose this solution. Here, let's look at the scripture part of it first here. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come, these Jewish Christians. Do their Jewish Christians that think he is anti Judaism, anti-Jewishness. They said, and this is James, the leader of the church. These are the apostles making this proposal to him. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself with them, pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself live in observance of the law. Okay, would these Christians, these leaders, these apostles, these people that had walked with Christ, would they have proposed him to do something that compromised the very gospel that they were dying for? And would Paul so readily have done it? Again, I don't know everything about this ritual. Maybe some of you uh, who've shaved your heads could tell me. <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, we have, have four men in here who've shaved their heads. Maybe you're the four men who can tell me what this, what this was. Um, but anyway, I don't know what was going on 
but we do know what was going on. Paul would never have compromised the gospel. This was okay for him to do. People do things uh, uh, in their spiritual walk and spiritual life. Commentators differ. We know it wasn't a compromise. We know Paul was all about no works salvation. He said in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. He said in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, uh, so clearly to people who were going back to legalistic Judaism, he said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he said these classic words, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you'd received, let him be accursed. That's how we know whatever Paul did here, whatever was going on here, was not a compromise of the gospel. It was not another gospel. We know there was a cost involved. Paying for their sacrifice on the other side. There was some money that he had to put out. There was some time he had to give. Time that was valuable in one who felt called to share the gospel. Time of a purification rite and going in. And it was a seven day uh, something or other. And it involved uh, a sacrifice on the other side. But there was no sign of hesitation in Paul's part. He didn't say, give me a couple days to think about this. Let me search the scriptures. He goes, sure, I'll do it. What do we see here? We see a trusting and submitting to the ones on the ground in that setting. If I walked into, I went to a, uh, well, I don't know. don't know what I know about, about let's say, let's say I, I went, let's say I, they, they said, hey, speak at the Brazilian congregation, Tito and the elders and them, speak here. And if Tito and the elders, the, all the elders said to me, but don't talk about Manchester United, whatever you do, it'll be a stumbling block. I'm going to talk about Manchester United. They're blah, 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 blah. They've got the Norwegian coach. Got, you know what? I better trust the word of my brothers and not do that. They're on the ground. They know. They're walking with God. Paul submitted. The great Paul submitted to the people on the ground and he said, okay, if you've thought about this, this is your plan, I do it. There was humility involved in that. And Paul is to be commended for this humility that he submitted to them to do. We're going to see next week, this is what got him arrested. This was fateful. It wasn't a setup, but it happened. What's the motivation that Paul had for a selfless act? An act that put him out money-wise, that put him out time-wise, that put him out um, clout-wise, you, you might say. Romans 10.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He wanted the salvation of his Jewish brothers and sisters. 2 Timothy 4.7 and 8, last will and testament of Paul that we have written. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, 
will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also who loved his appearing. Paul said, I see the mission that I'm on. I see the seriousness of salvation. I see that that's the only thing that matters uh, uh, in life. I see God's glory. I see these people. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. It doesn't compromise the gospel. I'll do it. How does this apply to us? This is the transition slash application slash uh, all of those things. Uh, How does this apply to us in Danbury, Connecticut at a little church called Christ the Shepherd in the year of our Lord 2021? One, like Paul and James and the rest of the Christians in the early church, we are gloriously caught up in something that is far, far bigger than ourselves and our self-interest. Praise God. We got something bigger than just looking out for number one. We got something bigger than just, you know, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can, as they say. We got, we got more than just selfish accumulation and, and ourselves. We get to be Christians. We get to be part of a church. We get to be part of an eternal mission. We get to be God's ambassadors in this country. Second, God continues to work his salvation in the hearts of all types of people. If we listen, and if God blesses us to listen, we get to hear all kinds of stories about God at work. When we hear the stories, our joy will be as real as the joy experienced by the Jewish Christians when they heard of all God's mighty deeds recounted by Paul. He is not silent. We are not listening, as uh, Francis Schaeffer said, and then several Christian contemporary songs put in the, in the words afterwards. He's not silent. We're just not listening. God's working. We just got to look, see. Wow. Third, we can remember that misunderstanding, even falling for lies, happens in this world. If they lie about Paul, they can lie about us. And when that happens, at least we're in good company. They told all sorts of lies about Christians in churches. <laughs> they sacrifice babies. They eat blood. They, 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 they do all, any kind of lie they can tell, they tell. Oh, I don't want to be a Christian because the world's going to think this about me and say this about me and people are going to believe it. Well, hey, you're in good company. Going to happen. Don't worry about it. Just worry about what God says about you. The truth about what God thinks about you and about us as a church is vastly more important than what the world lies about. Fourth, we're we're quick. Listen to this. Unity among Christians is important. It's like, thank you, Captain Obvious, but it is. The Bible talks about unity among Christians is important. At least it was important to these church leaders. The reason it was so important to, to Paul and James and, and the elders there, that Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians uh, had unity is because it was so important to God. Listen to these verses from Jesus. They call it his high priestly prayer, John 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. 
as that trinity, three in one, one in three, that we talk about. He said, I pray for that kind of unity among Christians, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus goes on to pray, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Fifth application point. Others who've realized the need for unity among Christians have sacrificed something of their time and money to see this happen. This is not natural to humanity. It's counterintuitive to selflessly give. But something that the Holy Spirit gifts God's people to do. You can't do this and you can't generate it yourself. But if you're a Christian, it might just sneak up on you. You might go, Boy, I wouldn't have done that before, but I can't help it now. It's a no-brainer. That's part of being a transformed life. Something that God calls and therefore empowers all Christians to do. Six, the spread of the gospel wasn't the goal in this, though that is a side effect. The unity of the body of Christ was the goal. That was his goal. It was the Christians that the Christians would see and there would be unity. Um, a side effect was the spread of the gospel. But the goal was the unity. He fought for it. Lastly, as long as we're talking about the lengths to which love goes, the lengths to which love goes for the gospel, for unity, I've got to just sum it up as a bridge between the word and the table. And you think about Paul was not original. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Think of the lengths to which love goes, to which Jesus went for you to be saved. Left his throne in heaven. Treated by the people that he created the way that he was treated. Even if we had treated him royally, even if we had treated him the best, it would have been an insult to the very God of heaven. Think about that. But we did worse. We ignored him. We mocked him. We spat on him. Put our weed in his hand and said, here's your scepter. And even now we say when he came to save us through his grace, we say, I'd kind of like to try first to work good and save myself. I don't like your gift, Jesus. And the lengths to which he went, the love that he showed for worthless in our own selves, people like us, to make us worth something. Oh, we've got to see that we are loved. We've got to see that you're loved by God. Let that change the uh, the way you look at the world and, and everything that's happening and has happened to you and will happen. Look at the love that God had, the lengths to which God goes. He left his throne in heaven above, so free, so infinite, grace. And take that and say, uh, maybe, maybe I get to imitate that a little bit. If so, great. If not, he still loves me so much. And, and, and I'm still loved, I'm still godly. I'm still in him. (laughs) And and let the transformation happen as you feast on that. 
quite the passage. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this incident. Thank you for how we got to see it. Thank you for how it relates to the gospel. Help us as members of Christ the Shepherd Church, PCA, in Danbury, Connecticut. Help us, Lord, as we grow and evolve. We know you didn't save us just to keep us where we're at, but you're, you saved us in part of your great grace to us as we grow and as we follow you. And then we get to go to heaven when we die. And that's a great reward. But help us in the here and now. And we thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. In his name we pray. Amen.